Before we start, I'd like to pray again. So let's, let's pray if we could. God, thank you so much for your love for us, your love that cared for us, that gave to us everything when we deserve nothing. When we are at our least lovable, you gave us the greatest love. You served us when we should have been serving you. Jesus, help us as we dive into your word to understand what it is that you have to say to us. Work in our hearts what only you can. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30 tells us that Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And the burden is light. What a picture Jesus gives. One of coming to Him when we are weary and heavy burdened and giving us rest. But in the middle of this, He says something that is is difficult. It seems not to fit with the rest of the message. He says, take my yoke upon you. Not the yoke of an egg. The yoke more of what an oxen would wear. Very thankful that we have technology today for tractors to be able to do the breaking up of the ground when people want to farm. Of course, for thousands of years, this was not what they were able to do. Instead, Farmers would have to attach a, a plow to a yoke. This would uh, be pulled by this, this wooden piece called a yoke, and it would be pulled by oxen or whatever the strongest possible animal is that they would have to pull. Back in the Middle East, that's what it would be. And they would pull this heavy instrument behind him and they would go into the ground and they would break it up and hopefully in a straight line form this broken earth for the farmer to plant the, uh, this, uh, the seeds for their crops into the soil. Why am I telling you this? You know better than I do. But I'm saying it anyways because I'm up here up front. Now... Sometimes you would have two oxen, because after all, the device is being pulled from the center point, so you couldn't really have one. But sometimes you would have a, a second ox that would be a younger ox that is not experienced and doesn't know what to do with a yoke. And if left to itself, it would probably just go meandering off wherever it wants or just stop when it got tired. So what a farmer would do is they would take this younger, smaller ox and and attach it to the same yoke as a larger ox. And any time that the younger one wanted to stop or wanted to turn aside, the older one, which is bigger and stronger and knew everything that it needed to do, would just keep on moving forward. Kind of like if I'm walking with Berean hand in hand and he wants to go running across the street and I'm holding his hand. So as I keep on going forward, it doesn't matter which way he's going. He's coming with me, let me tell you, when we're crossing the street. It's kind of like that. 
there are two kinds of sermons that people would probably rather avoid hearing about if they knew it was coming. Sermons about money and sermons about serving. Why is that? Perhaps because in our minds, when we think of service, we think of demands on our time. We think of pressure to make a ministry succeed. We think of uh, words might come into your head, such as, if I say yes, I'll never get out of it without being shamed. Or, if I try and it fails, then it's all my fault. Or if I don't try and it fails, it's all my fault. We, we can sometimes have this mindset, can't we? And it makes the idea of serving in a church horrible to think about. And something we would rather avoid. And yet too often, too easily, this mindset permeates churches. Sometimes accidentally because of preachers like me. If ever I have given that idea. I want you to know I I know that that's wrong and that is never what I would intend to communicate to you. So as we're working through this series on the faith path, discussing the different steps we can take to grow closer in our walk with Jesus, as we dive into this step, which is important to discuss, serving in the church. Hopefully we will walk out of this in a couple weeks, seeing this in a different light. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to dive into the dignity given to all kinds of service and servants by God himself. What better place could we look than the act of service found in John chapter 13? John chapter 13, just when Jesus was about to give the greatest act of service, when he would be arrest, betrayed, arrested, condemned, crucified, killed, buried, and rise again. Just before he did that, at the very last meal he had with his closest friends, the twelve apostles, who, by the way, were just about to desert him, deny him, and betray him. These guys. It says that Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything. In John chapter 13, verses 3 through 5, in case you're finding in your own Bibles. Jesus knew the Father had given him authority over everything and that he'd come from God and would return to God. So, so, as in in light of that, this is what he did as a result. So, he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. And then he began to wash the disciples' feet drying them with a towel he had around them. And then, of course, because Peter can't help talking, we enter into a conversation with Peter, which is wonderful and insightful and teaches us wonderful things that we're not going to be learning about today. We pick up again in verse 12, where we read, After washing their feet, Jesus put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. 
I've given you an example to follow. Do as I've done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Now, there's some churches that have foot washing ceremonies. I don't know if you've ever seen it happen in a wedding where like a husband would wash the feet of his wife or sometimes in some churches where people wash feet. When we do it today, it's a little bit more symbolic gesture because we have these wonderful things called shoes that cover our feet if we so choose to wear them. And we also have something called running water, which allows us to take regular showers and baths that let us wash our, our whole bodies. That was not the case back in this time. Back then... The roads that you were walking on were not paved, they were dirt roads. Dirt roads on which you wouldn't have a couple people walking, everyone that wanted to get anywhere would have to walk, and so they'd be constantly kicking up this dirt, but it wouldn't just be people on there, uh, which sometimes the unseemly people would do things on the streets which you don't want to get nearby, but eventually it would get worked into the dust and, and then get on your feet. There would also be horses. If you've ever seen a horse walking in a parade, it's always leaving something behind, isn't it? And there wouldn't be people that would clean up after it. People would walk around it for a while, then eventually it would just get mixed up in the dirt. So when you're walking on these roads, all this stuff would get kicked up and cake your feet. And because you didn't have running water and the ability to take baths as regularly, you would not clean your whole body, but when you would come into a house, it would be a kindness to allow a person to wash their feet so that they could have clean feet when they are entering their house or the house as a guest. Now, in a Roman household, they had servants for this. Do you think it would be the highest of servants who would be washing the feet? Think it was such an honor to wash the feet of a guest that comes in? Oh, no. Of all of the tasks that a servant in a household could do, washing another person's feet was the least desirable, was the most disgusting, it was the most humiliating thing that you could be told to do. Only the lowest of the servants in a Roman household could do it. And in fact, it was so humiliating that in Jewish nations, in Jewish households, servants were not allowed to wash someone's feet. You could not force a servant in a Jewish household to do it because it was that humiliating. If you wanted to wash your feet, there is a basin of water. Take care of it yourself. Thank you very much. Now, Jesus was pretty great. He's a pretty great guy. I mean, we know that. But let me just give you one example. John the Baptist, at the beginning of, uh, of John, is speaking of Jesus. And he says, one is coming who is so great that I'm not even unworthy to undo the straps of his sandals to wash his feet. And by the way, Jesus said of John the Baptist that of all the men who have ever lived, of all the prophets who have ever spoken, John the Baptist was the very greatest of them. So the greatest man, the greatest prophet who had ever lived was not worthy to wash the feet of Jesus. That's how great Jesus was. And yet Jesus, God incarnate, infinite in glory, loved 
his disciples to the end, even washing their feet. And then he says, you call me titles like Lord and Master, and I am. And he says, so if this action is not beneath your Lord and Master, let me ask you, what act of service could possibly be beneath you? In the Navy, it is said, so I hear, that the most important job a man could do, a sailor could do, would be whatever job they are doing at that moment, be it paperwork or cleaning toilets. In fact, there's a story of a man who wanted to test this theory, and so he went to a bathroom and he saw a man cleaning a toilet, and he said, how important is the job you're doing right now? And the man didn't just by rote, he said it with passion, he said, what I'm doing in cleaning this toilet is the most important job on this ship because hundreds of people will use this toilet and if it is not clean, if it is not spotless, germs spread, sickness spreads across the ship faster than you can believe. And if, what are you going to do if we're called up to service and there is sickness throughout the ship and half the men are laid up? It's one of the reasons why whenever I go through an airport or through a a public place of any kind, if ever I see a custodian cleaning a bathroom, I look that person straight in the face and I say, you are one of the secret heroes of this place. Because I know what it's like to go to an airport with a nasty bathroom or a gas station or someplace like that. I don't like it one bit. And so whenever I see someone cleaning, I tell them, you are one of the secret heroes. Thank you so much. Here's the point of all this. The point for us to get is that the humiliating of service, of washing feet, did absolutely nothing to lower the dignity of Jesus who was doing the foot washing. It did nothing to lower His dignity. Rather, when Jesus chose to do it, Jesus took the humiliation of washing feet and raised up the dignity of that act of service and every other act of service with it. Are we tracking? Are we understanding? Okay, seeing a couple heads nod. What does that mean for you and me? What that means is we need to understand. We need to get it into our heads that there is no B team in the church when it comes to acts of service. There is no A-team and there is no B-team of those who are serving within the church. From preaching to nursery to the safety team to cleaning toilets, every act of service is vital and important. Every single act of service done in the name of Jesus, is valuable and vital and important. Everyone is valued by God. Do we understand that? I really hope that we do. 
Because we can say that. We can say that on one level, but I know that sometimes we forget, can't we? And we can forget that, and we can feel as if acts of service that we do are somehow less valuable, or there is someone who is doing something that is more, and we say that because we can't do a certain thing, we are less valuable in the church. Guess what? Paul spoke to that too. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'm going to read a larger passage, but it is worth reading every word of this. So, so track with me if you can. Verses 14 through 25, Paul says, Yes, the body has different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not a hand, that doesn't make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? And if the whole body were an ear, how would you smell? But our bodies have many parts. And God put each part just where He wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. Important. Sounds like I'm talking Irish now. Sorry. Important are most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that shouldn't be seen, while the more honorable parts don't require this special care. So God's put the body together such that that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members, so that all the members care for each other. It's not just here. There are many points where God, in the word He has given us, tells us that the church is like a body. Now, there are some parts of the body of Christ that are more obvious, right? More visible. I happen to inhabit one of them. It's easy sometimes to give honor to the parts of the body that are visible. And that's just, that's not wrong, and that's, that's just how people naturally are, right? You go to any church, you're more likely to think a pastor than to think someone who has cleaned the bathrooms. Right? It's just easier to do. But let me tell you something. In a healthy church, this is not how a church is made to function. This is not when a church is at its best. A church is not at its best if the only person that you have thanked for serving the church within the past week or month is the guy who stands up and shares from the Word. All right? Honor in a healthy body of Christ, in a thriving body of Christ, honor and it should be intentionally directed toward those that are less visible. And also, by the way, protection 
is also mentioned. I think that's interesting that Paul mentions protection for the serve, those who serve in less visible capacities. Because why? Because behind the scenes work often goes unnoticed until it doesn't work. And then all of a sudden everyone wants to figure out who, who didn't do it, right? That's why we're told to give honor and protection to the parts of the body that are less visible. Let me tell you, some of what was needed in order for this service to happen. For this service to happen, someone made announcements. Someone led the church in prayer. Someone, and it varies who, shares for communion to help us get our minds in the right place for remembering the death of Jesus. Someone plays on the piano and the guitar. Someone, multiple someones, even right now, are teaching kids in the nursery and in kids' church, sacrificing their time to be able to be here so that they can be there. People are, we have a safety team of people who lock doors in the church just to help keep us that much safer and check in on the kids on a regular basis just as an added measure of safety. Not because we're worried, but we just want to take extra measure for your peace of mind. There are people who are working on the computer, switching slides, running videos, recording the messages so they can be posted online. There are people who prepare communion, people who clean the chapel, people who count money and pay bills and fix what's broken in the building and improve the building further. There are people who plan events, coordinate volunteers, select music, decorate the chapel, mow lawns, plow snow. There are people who are working in all sorts of capacities so that we can gather here and worship together in this building. Guess what? Compared to you, when I think about all that work, I'm not very much. I'm not just saying that out of a false humility. I am saying that out of an honest estimate. Because without you loving the body of Christ through every act of service that you do, church doesn't happen the same way, does it? Take out any one of those. Take out the snowplow in the winter. How are we going to gather without that? What you do is of crucial importance. So I want to ask you, how often do you thank people who do these ministries that might be less visible, less noticed, You know, I know that you know how grateful you are when you get singled out and thanked. I know how much it means for me. There was one time where I was just sitting back at the computer preparing for Sunday service and someone just drove up and and ran into the church just to say, Adam, I just want you to know that that I appreciate you being here and it means a lot to me. And And then she said, that's it. All I had to say goodbye and she just ran out again. Still remembered it. It made my month. I want to ask you, Find someone who serves in a less visible way and think of a way to honor them and thank them. 
If you're wondering, there's a volunteer list provided in the kitchen in the back of the sanctuary. That is a great place to look. Jesus, with his act of service, by choosing to take the most humble acts of service, which in a Jewish community that Jesus was in, servants were not even allowed to do because of how humiliating it was. When Jesus did it, he raised the dignity of every single service that you or I can do to show love in the body of Christ. And he therefore leaves no room for you or me to say any service is greater than any other. Nor does he leave room for any of us to say that any servant is greater than any other. Okay, do we, are we, are we tracking? Rather, what Jesus says, you know what Jesus says to the most ambitious people? He says, if you want to become the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, you must become, does someone know? The least. You must become the servant of all if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom. In Jesus' upside-down kingdom of grace, He raises the humblest servants to the highest places of honor. Should that not be what you and I do in the body of Christ here and now? Should we not also learn to see service through the eyes of Christ? So today as we take our way that we think of serving in the church and try to turn it on its head, I would like to leave you with two, two things to take home. First concerns your service. Colossians 3.23 says, Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Whatever it is you do, Whatever it is you do, whether it's been doing the same thing for 30 years or whether it's that you tried one thing and now you're doing a different thing and you're wondering, is what I do now of any value? Learn to see that you are a part of the body of Jesus Christ and your role is important and valuable. Like that sailor cleaning a toilet. You are an essential blessing to those around you, however it is you're serving when you do it as to the Lord. All right? That's for your service. Second is a take-home for the service of others. When you think of the service of others, first of all, I want you to protect them. Okay? Don't let the only time that you notice that someone is doing something in the church be when they're doing it wrong or when they messed up. All right? If you have never thanked a person for their service, don't you dare single them out when they get something wrong. Protect them. Care for them. Support them. There is nothing worse than having the only attention you get being negative attention. Second, I don't just want you to honor them. I hope every single one of you, starting today, will go above and beyond to honor people who serve in this church. 
I want you to find people who do tasks that you haven't even considered before. People who possibly have never been thanked for the ways they have served the body of Christ. And I want, I want you to maybe take a look at the schedule. Not just to see what tasks you're doing, but take a look at other people. Either say, who else is doing the tasks that I'm doing? Or say, look at for a name and try to find out what are all of the different things that person is doing across the schedule. Look at the schedule and find out who does what and how much a person does. Or think to yourself, what is something in the church that is probably done by someone, but I have no idea who and even the schedule doesn't tell me? Think about that and ask around. Find out who does it. And then don't just give him a thank, word of thanks. Don't just go and say, oh, hey, I, I noticed you, you, you prepared communion. Thanks. I really appreciate that. I want you to go above and beyond with a handwritten card. Take him out to a meal. Give him a gift card for a meal or something like that. Show them an honor that goes above and beyond. That makes them feel truly loved and appreciated. By the way, I'm just going to say right now, I'm specifically not going to be asking this for myself. If any of you do this for me in the next month or so, I'm going to thank you very kindly and turn it down because the goal is to do this for people who are less visible. Okay? And I want to ask that you don't just do this once. I want you to make this a habit, a regular thing that you are doing to look for the hidden servants of the church and honor them and protect them. There is no A team in the church. There is no B team in the body of Christ. So let's continue more and more to grow into the kind of church in which it is a delight to serve. Amen? 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 Amen. Oh, very good. Thank you so much. Let's pray. Jesus, with your act of service, you honor us and you declare that every act of service that we do in your name has essential value and worth as we do it for you and not just for the praise of others. I thank you so much. I thank you so much, Jesus, for the people who give their time, their energy, their effort, their gifts to love other people in the visible and the less visible ways. Jesus, bless them, encourage them, help them to know how much what they do is valuable and help them to turn around and find the other people who are serving in the hidden ways and thank them to honor and protect them just as you tell us to do. Help us to find joy when we serve others in your name, peace, as we leave the results of our effort in your care. And in those areas that we cannot serve, help us to trust in your faithfulness to provide. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. As we now turn to our time of communion together, we remember that Jesus...
did one of the most humble acts of service when he washed the feet of his disciples. But it was not the greatest act. It was just one of the most humble by our understanding. What he did on the cross was greater by far than we can even comprehend. Because when he died for us, the Bible tells us he didn't just pay for our sins. We're actually told he became sin. He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us. Every act of selfishness, of wrongness, of brokenness, of sin that you and I have done and that has been done to you and me, Jesus says, that's not your sin anymore. It's my sin. I took it. I paid for it. It's mine and it's done. So the verse that we're going to read today comes from 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, that says, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we come to Jesus, not just when we've done things right, but especially when we have done things wrong, the wonderful thing is we don't need to come to Jesus having said, I'm sorry, Jesus, for what I've done. I, I've, I've stepped away from you for a long time, but I've gotten my life back together and I really think I'm better now, so now will you accept me? No. He says at the moment that we mess up, we have the freedom to come to him and say, God, I messed up. And he says, I know. And I've taken care of it in Jesus. And we're good again. And we get to walk in fellowship with him again. What a joy that is. And it is all because of the body and blood of Jesus. So as we go ahead and pass out the bread and the cup, I want to ask that, that you would think about that. About this greatest act of service that Jesus has done for each and every one of you. So that when we think of serving others, we would not be thinking of it out of a mindset of how great it makes us or how much pride we can take and how much work we do. We, every act of service that we can do instead can be out of thanks and love for the one who gave more to us than we would ever be able to repay for him. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your gift as we honor you and remember you and proclaim you, draw us closer to yourself in a new and fresh way. Amen.